Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Rob Bendane from East Dundee, Illinois. Rob will get a marathon decal showing he watched 26.2 hours of his favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Chris Green, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 14, Episode 20, Everybody Loves Raimundos. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of the podcast, Crime Writers On, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Buongiorno, Kevin. Oh, you're, you're trying out your Italian on me. Uh, a little bit. Just a little bit. Bad Italian. Well, I'm going to counter you with our special guest from Ireland's RTE radio network and the co-host of Crack Addicts, Chris Green. Hello, Chris. Yo, yo, yo. I was frantically going on Google Translate there. I was like, damn it, I can't be out Sean with some Italian phrases and I'm European. <laughs> so I really should have had said something Italian. But unfortunately... I have nothing. Prego, I think, is forgive me. So prego for not having any Italian. I'm very sorry, friends. But uh, hi, thank you for having me on. I uh, I love this, and uh, I'm genuinely very excited. We're very happy to have you, Chris. But could you explain to this Italian woman with the French last name, when you talk about being a crack addict, what does that mean in Ireland? Well, listen, yeah, this can cause an awful lot of problems, especially because I've been to the U.S. many times. And every time I start, I use the word crack less and less because there's a very different meaning with you fellas over there. I think it has an entirely different social con connotation. However, crack in, I will say, the Republic of Ireland, it's not used as much up north or in England. However, crack is basically, I guess you could say, fun or uh, joviality, or having a good time when you go out with your friends. Uh, so you'd say, oh, it was fantastic crack. And uh, crack means, you know, fun or play. Uh, it's also, if you want to ask someone, yo, what's up? Or, you know, what's the story? You could say, what's the crack? Which means, you know, what's the fun? What, what are you doing? What are you up to? And um, crack addicts is, of course, uh, I, the reason I, I think you might be asking about why, why crack is uh, used uh, the way we use it is because we did a little mini series for Channel 4, which is a TV station in in the UK and we called it crack addicts because you know they love they love Ireland over there they love paddy whackery they love when we when we amp it up a bit and, and be ridiculous Irish people so we were like well why not where do you want us to do it you just show us the camera so that's that's crack in case either Kevin were you familiar with crack or did you have any uh, yeah, you know experiences with our usage of it you know if you ask me if I know anything about crack I know the NSA is monitoring this <laughs> communication <laughs> I'm just gonna have to well we have we have the fifth amendment over here 
murder and I'm going to plead the fifth. Well, I'll say this. I hear you. Um, Chris, I read a lot of books by Tana French, you know, Irish crime author, and now I feel oh, like... Oh, I've read some of her books. They're awesome. Yeah, yes. and now I feel like I understand like 30% <laughs> more of those books than I did before you went through that explanation. So thank you for that. Thank you. Can I can I ask, when you when you first read those books, because these are the ones that are set in, in Dublin, right? These you are the, it. like, it's a, it's a police state. Yes, I, I actually have read some of those. They're very good. And... Um, I'd imagine when you first read it, were you like, what in the name of Jesus is going on? Here? What? Wow, what is going on with this city? It must be riddled with crack. But now you probably have a, a slightly better uh, understanding. Very good. Yeah, it also took me a while to figure out when they talk about guys in tracksuits, they weren't talking about athletes. <laughs> no, no, tracksuit, wearing tracksuits or any of that kind of at casual uh, clothing here generally means you are a bad man who's a member of very dangerous and scary organizations. Exactly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> which is why I don't exercise. <laughs> I don't want to be mistaken. <laughs> I hear you. Me neither. I don't want anyone thinking I'm one of those dudes. Hey, Chris, if I turned on television in Dublin, how much Law & Order would I see? There's one channel in the UK that just literally airs Law & Order endlessly. I think a dude set that channel up in 2011, put every Law & Order episode into a playlist and just hasn't been back since. Because, I mean, <laughs> that's literally what that channel is. It is Law & Order for about seven hours every night. It's fantastic if you've nothing else to do. You sit down, you watch it. Generally, only the newer episodes, though. And I'm talking... The newer SVUs and stuff, they, they were like, I, it was great to go back as far as we went back today because you wouldn't even really see that anymore over here. So it was, uh, it was really good fun to, uh, to, to go back as far as we did. And I just want to point out as well, uh, lest anyone think I watched this uh, on a streaming service to which the country didn't have the broadcast rights, I flew to America, me, Rebecca and Kevin watched it in their living room, and then I flew back home. So uh, that's how dedicated I am to this podcast. It was so all good knows. crack, I know. Sounds legit. It was great crack, wasn't it? Yeah, it absolutely. was. So does that mean if you feel like you went to New York City and you were uh, falsely accused of murdering a jogger, you feel like you could handle yourself now after seeing all those shows? Absolutely. I would know all the attitude to have. I would like just reference the fact that I'd spent some time in Rikers, the fact that I'm a hard man, the fact that I'm from the streets, and they'd be real intimidated. And then I'd say lawyer, and then like, that'd be it. And then they'd be like, damn it, he's got a lawyer. He's obviously watched Law & Order at least once. <laughs> Thought we could pull one over on him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Damn Irish get away with it again. Absolutely. That's crafty Irish, I tell you. Chris, of all the uh, Law & Order franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. It's, uh, I mean, Briscoe and Green are the OGs for me. Uh, they <laughs> are just the boys. They are the two best. They're, those are the two that I grew up with because I think I started watching Law & Order when I was, I don't know, maybe... 11 or 12 uh, when we first got cable and I was very excited and I think at the time the new episodes as in the current episodes back then were those two boys so that was kind of I guess my first introduction to it obviously Benson and Stabler I mean they're kind of a classic and they got the guy girl thing and for a while I even think they had the will they won't they thin but for me it's it's definitely a Briscoe and Green and then do you remember now this is me showing my ignorance here after Briscoe and Green remember there was the dude and uh, the black dude that he was paired with. Lupo and Bernard, right. Yes, I, I love, love those dudes. I yes, love sorry, them go ahead. too. No, that's not an unpopular opinion. You're not the first person to point to Lupo and Bernard. Our old friend Brady Carlson, who's a law and order genius, says that they are his second favorite detective team as well. I think they're mine too. Now, do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. For me, now listen, I'm no expert. I'm, not, I'm no Jerry Bruckheimer here, so take what I say <laughs> with a pinch of salt. But for me, the only hit and miss part of the show is 
the casting of the prosecutorial team. Sometimes I think they're unfortunately unbelievable, if you get me. And I look at this and I think this, for some reason, this doesn't do it for me. And I, and I don't know why uh, it would be McCoy. And now listen, we might need to, you might need to help me out here on this guy as well. You know, the Southern, the, the Southern dude, really big guy, oh, very kind of Arthur built, Branch. broad Yes, yes, I love him. He Fred is Thompson. the best. Yeah. I like Barba, and I think Barba from SVU is a nice touch because I think he's one of the most authentic representatives. Now, listen, I could be totally wrong here. For example, like as in he speaks Spanish occasionally. He speaks Spanish when he gets rattled. He speaks Spanish sometimes if he's particularly disgusted by a suspect who's also able to speak Spanish. So I like <laughs> him. I think he has a bit of an edge to him, and I think he he hauls ass occasionally and kind of tells people how it is. So Barba definitely from the more from the more recent ones. He certainly seems like the most put upon. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's always like, what, someone else got raped again? I know. Like, yeah. like, 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 like he can't believe it. How many damn rapes are there in this city? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, he doesn't know you. that's his job, his full-time <laughs> job, is to prosecute these cases. <laughs> can't you bring me a You're burglary? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you want me to prosecute this? Jesus. Like, is it, you're right. He does seem to have a certain indignation in doing what seems to be his literal job description. Yeah, okay, fair point. All right. Now let's look at the first half of this episode, season 14, episode 20, Everybody Loves Raimundo's. Open on the crowded, exclusive Raimundo's restaurant, a young woman is coaxed by a gangster into committing a cliché. Oh, I mean, (laughs) singing in Italian in an Italian restaurant. Shots ring out, two men are dead. One victim is a made man, the other is a Hollywood producer. Briscoe and Green learns that everyone really does love Raimondo's. This includes celebrities, judges, and the chief of detectives. So, Chief, what the hell happened? Well, my back was to the bar, but uh, from what I gather, the guy on the floor got into a beef with some moron at the bar who pulls his piece, blam, 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 fires off a couple more for good luck, and he's out the door. And uh, the victim in the booth wasn't involved? They caught a stray, poor bastard. You get a look at the shooter? White, late 40s, heavy sets, dark hair. Mob guy? No witnesses say he goes by the name Bumpy. Hmm. Well, that answers my question. The trigger guy is a wannabe named Bumpy. When they scoop him up, he confesses to shooting the guy at the bar because he was heckling the singer. And so ends another eight-minute episode of Law & Order. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, wait, there's a twist. The bullet in the mobster is different than the one in the movie producer, Tommy Mitchell. They learn Sonny King, the author of a mob book based on Raimundo's, feels like he's been shortchanged. Sonny's alibi is solid, so the detectives think it was a paid hit. Briscoe goes undercover in a pool hall where we learn, God damn, he can really play some pool. (laughs) He convinces Minnesota really, really fats to fix him up with a hitman. The sting leads them to Denny Rogus, but the New Jersey Organized Crime Task Force takes Rogus for themselves, and they say they're not giving him back. So, Chris, uh, if you were out and about having some crack, uh, what karaoke song would you be willing to shoot someone over to shut him up? Okay, basically, I think uh, karaoke... In fact, I actually think that what that woman did in any public setting is one of the most self-indulgent, yes. narcissistic things. 
I'm glad. Well, let me say some. Let me spill some tea here, gents. I'm glad she got shot after that type of display. <laughs> I'm at a restaurant. I'm probably paying a lot of money, especially with how exclusive that Raimondo's place is. I'm not really interested in listening to her unsolicited and unrequested singing. So listen, that was a nice bit of drama to get the episode going, but a, a tiny part of me was also like, good, fine. I mean, I kind of want to do that. If someone either... Wh- the big thing in Ireland is whipping out an acoustic guitar. I'll tell you, once an asshole does that at a, at a public event, I am finished. <laughs> I am leaving. If if I haven't even started my meal, I'm like, all right, you know what? Get me the bill. Thanks a lot for your time. So, yeah, listen, uh, very annoying, very irritating. But hey, what can you do? I 100% agree with you. I even get annoyed when you're at a restaurant and someone like makes a toast at another table that's like a birthday toast to like somebody. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? This is a public place, goddammit. Also, I would also have been annoyed, by the way, by the professional opera singer working at that restaurant because there's nothing worse than when your, you know, Linguini arrives and then you just have mm-hmm. to sit there and not do anything because you have to listen to some <laughs> unsolicited <laughs> opera performance. Yeah. <laughs> and some of those Italian places places i've noticed they like go around the tables while they're singing so as in everybody gets exposed to them for a few seconds and you do kind of have to stop you know what i mean and you do you can't be eating as they're sitting there beside you yeah it's awful i agree rebecca you have to passively aggressively like put the fork down yeah okay go ahead Uh, but you know mobsters eat there so the italian food must be good yeah it must be amazing it must be like mama used to make am i right (laughs) yeah that's what everybody seems to think everybody loves raymundo i mean everybody the chief of d's as they call him which is a hilarious nickname yeah i don't think i want to be called chief of d's who by the way was wearing (laughs) especially not these days no yeah he he and raymundo are wearing matching outfits i don't know if you noticed that like basically same tie same suit that was a little Judges love Raimondo. You go to Raimondo's often? Once a week. Did you know Thomas Mitchell? Just to say hello to. I knew he was a movie producer. That's about it. He has one out now. Al Dente. About a mob family. Runs a restaurant supposedly based on Raimondo's. Doesn't it spoil your appetite, Your Honor? Eating with gangsters? That's all part of the charm. That's the beauty of Raimondo's. That's the point. Successful people from every field. The political world. The entertainment world. The underworld. Everybody loves Ramondas. It was really. It's a high society place, Rebecca. High. You know what I mean. All the who's who is going there. If only us normal peasants could get to go <laughs> there, classy. right? We get it. We get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, Rebecca, did you know that Jerry Orbach could shoot some stick like that? That blew my damn mind. Eleven in the corner. About time we got someone who knows how to shoot pool. Fifteen, three times across. Nice. Actually, uh, Chris, so Kevin and I have a pool table here at our house. And when nice. the episode was over, immediately Kevin goes downstairs and is trying the 15 side-to-side-to-side <laughs> shot that Jerry Orbach <laughs> made. He's unbelievable. And I looked it up. Apparently, he's like was known to be one of the best celebrity pool players and apparently among like a celebrity oh, pool player. Oh, no circuit. kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, they, wow. Okay. They, they only broke that skill out in Law & Order a couple of times. The best time was actually in a crossover episode. They were on Homicide, Life on the Streets. Takes place in Baltimore in Munch. Originally starts off as a character on Homicide. They did a crossover, and Lenny, Briscoe, and Munch were playing pool. And um, Briscoe is literally behind the eight ball. There's no way you're going to make that eight ball, man. Is there an ATM machine around here? Yeah, why? Because you owe me another hundred. Hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would way I like rather it. watch Jerry Orbach play pool than listen to Jesse L. Martin sing songs from Rent. 
Let me okay. put it that way. <laughs> on an I acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. At a house party. Absolutely. No, I could not. What I like about it as well with the whole when you get to see them in plain clothes and all that. Law and Order, the original Law and Order, or I should say the older Law and Orders, don't do it as much. SVU, that's a uh, that's a trope or like a device that they really use now. Like, you know, Olivia will go undercover as we'll say a sex worker or in a prison. Usually they put Ice-T as a drug dealer and he's doing, you know, yo, yo, I'm a drug dealer kind of things. But it is still nice to see them in a context other than their usual character. You know, I, I find it refreshing. Maybe I, that's a a very minor detail of it. But one of my favorite things is if in an episode, I know one of the characters that I'm so used to seeing in one particular way is going to be undercover. It's nice to see another side of them. Now we have a whole bunch of, hey, it's that guys. Hey, it's that guy. Actually, it's a whole bunch of, hey, it's that mobster. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it's like they, every guy who ever played a mobster on television got a part in this. Because I, I literally think they went down to the Soprano set and rounded up a bunch of guys and said, are you off next Thursday? Can you come up to New York? Look, just to go through the cast real quick, from The Sopranos, we have Lenny uh, Venito, Stephen Randozzo, Ray Abruzio, George Loros, Vinny Vela, Gene Ruffini, Jim Brachicha, and Bumpy was played by Bo Detelli from Goodfellas. That guy. It sounds like the uh, entree is an Italian restaurant. It does, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) List of names. It really does. I'm Italian, so I'm allowed to make jokes like that, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's fine. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But we do get to see one actress before she was famous. Before they were famous. Can you? Oh yes, you won the black-haired girl. Yes, yes. indeed. Tracy, the, the age, or she's the assistant at the at the. Yeah, yeah. Chris, do you know her name? No. God, God damn it! Was that not enough of a description? <laughs> <laughs> I know her name. What's her name? Her name's Kristen Ritter. Sonny passed himself off as a gangster, but really he's just some guy who hung around and listened to the wise guys tell lies, and then he put them all in a book. Then Tommy bought the book, threw in some more lies. Made the movie. Uh, and she's best known, I think, now for that superhero show that I don't watch. Jessica, Jessica Jones. Jones. I know her Jessica from Breaking jo- Bad yes. as Jessie's uh, ill-fated next-door neighbor girlfriend who dies of an overdose and Walter watches her die on Breaking Bad. And, and yeah, she watches her choke, doesn't he? Right, man. right. I want to point out a couple of like the great investigative moments in the first half of this episode that I just loved. Uh, first of all, when Green is trying to look up Bumpy in the system, and he's like, we got two bums, a bunny, and a, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's like finding a guy named Bumpy. And the other thing that I love is when they sneak into that secret game, you know, to, to try to get the bookie. And, uh, oh, the car, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when they when they arrest Bumpy and they, they find the gun, and they're like, whoa, what's this? Like, what's this? And one of the other mobsters is like, it's a 38. It's a 38. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry Orbach is like, I know what it is. That's a rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> uh, so it's such, a, such a great moment of them being cops and you could tell the actors enjoyed it. Like Jesse L. Martin was laughing his way, like through. Most Green of this laughed episode. at a lot of the one. I mean, at everything everybody was saying. I think he really enjoyed yeah. this one. I think he did too. There's, they use a take. I think it's. I think it's when they're still in the restaurant and Briscoe makes a joke, and like it actually looks like, as you guys say, that he's broken character when he starts laughing. Like it looks like it was just a take. They left it. He looks like he's not like guffawing in a like, oh, good, my partner made a joke. I'm gonna laugh. It looks like he actually really started laughing. I'm surprised they even used it because it almost looks not like it was an outtake, but like 
it was almost too genuine of a reaction from yeah, him. Absolutely. That was yeah. when Briscoe was talking about the food at Raimundo's and said, I hear it's to die for. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, so Bumpy wants to be on the inside of the mob. Uh, Sonny, the author, likes to think that he's on the inside of the mob. And all of these celebrities and bigwigs like to be inside Raimundo's, which they can't get into. It seems like everybody wants to be up against the window and to maybe be on the other side of it where the mobsters are. Yeah, that's why you can make a hit movie with a super shitty title like Al Dente, apparently, in this made-up <laughs> Law and Order universe. What do you want to bet Al Dente is the name of a character? <laughs> <laughs> it's the I name of the food they eat. What was the other joke Briscoe made talking about mob movies, Gangsters on the Roof? Yeah, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, definitely... We are definitely fascinated. I think it's Martin Scorsese's fault, pretty much, that we're so fascinated with mafia culture uh, here in the U.S. and our pop culture and that. You know, the judge especially was talking about that being the charm. You know, they ask her, like, why do you want to eat with guys that you have to put away? And she's like, that's the charm. Everybody loves Raimundo's. <laughs> yeah, I don't do. Do you guys have a similar sort of like mafia gangster love culture over there in Ireland? No, it's, you know what's funny about it? So there are a few families, I won't name any names, but there are a few very concentrated families where, like, if you understand, they make up something like, you know, 10% of the entire crime statistics in the country. Like, they're they're a huge... People like that. I don't. I, I'd like to keep my legs, so I'm not saying anything regarding their names. But you just pulled um, a goddamn not... name out of a hat and threw it out I there. Did. <laughs> I was right, wasn't I? It's totally Murphy's. The O'Shocknesses. The uh, yeah. The McGuinnesses. No, but uh, they uh, they are not nearly as romanticized here as they are, I think, in the U.S., particularly when it comes to organized crime and when it comes to drug dealing, because uh, there's a few tabloids in Ireland that really really pound and go very hard against these crime families and against these drug families and they whip up quite a bit of disquiet about them which listen I'm not complaining about obviously I don't think we should be romanticizing them so no in Ireland there is like elements of organized crime but it's not nearly as glamorized it's not nearly as stylistic as it is in the US it's not really the same there's there's a certain allure and there's a certain je ne sais quoi if you're a member of the mob or if you're if you're involved in any of this stuff here the French it, mob it, apparently yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't think of je ne sais quoi in Italian, so I listened. I went with that. But it's um, it's it's definitely not as as, uh, as as glamorous. No, nowhere near it. Now, how about the scene where Lenny tells Van Buren that he needs cash for the hitman sting? Well, here's $5,020 bills. I better get every single one of them back. And she just opens your drawer and pulls out five thousand dollars. All of this cash, yeah, absolutely. I had this on hand. Yeah, well, I just have it here in this unlocked drawer. How come she hasn't been picking up the bill for lunch all these years when the delivery sure. guy comes in? Also, isn't that usually like very tightly itemized and like in a proper evidence room or in a room that's used for things like stings? I don't know if it's in her unlocked drawer, which from what I can see, it wasn't even in an envelope. It was literally just <laughs> bills were just all over the place in her drawer. If she needs a stapler, she's like, all oh, these fucking 50 euro. <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems very disorganized, if I'm honest. I think she was pulling out of her handbag. Some were all crumpled up like she'd use them as a Kleenex or... <laughs> well, remember she had that one really bad experience at the ATM in another episode. All those years so ago. She just carries she all her, carries all with her, her. cash with her. <laughs> Guys, what do you think of her as an actress? Oh, Esapatha Merkison, I love her. To me, she's like the... Um, the the warmth of in the sauce of the entire you know original recipe law and order thing. I love the way Fair she deals with the cops. I love her relationship with Briscoe. I, I adore Esapatha Murkison and I love love her as a character. I think that she's kind of at a disadvantage because her character plays 
this role where she's just supposed to be the uh, receiver of the exposition dump and let yes. the, you know <laughs> all the action happen with the with the two main detectives and I don't think she's really used to her full strengths until near the end of the series where she has the storyline where she has cancer. She's like the den mother but of the she, squadron. Yeah, but every <laughs> season she gets at least one episode where she, the character gets to step up, and she always shines. Um, and so That's fair. I think she was the the longest-running character or actor on that, sh- that show. Wait, is Chris Green oh, no a, a Van Buren hater? I want to hear all about it if so. Okay, see now, see, I asked a loaded question. I asked a question that obviously gives away my opinion there, didn't I? What do you think of her as an actor? She's awful, and she, no, I don't think she's awful. <laughs> but I think, um, I think, you see, I think you guys give a good context for it. I know that because of her role, not as an actress, but what she would be within that organization, I understand she has to be very clipped and very stilted and very cold sometimes but then i can't tell if it's because as an actress she's phoning it in or because that's who she is if you get what i'm saying oh i'm sure she was phoning it in a lot of the time on oh. these shows i'm sure she was i mean she was, it seems like she is sometimes yeah i mean it's like you have you have a whole day of shooting and you get to say one thing i mean i'd phone it that's in true. too <laughs> <laughs> and as kevin says you get to have like a guy come in and go now he was shot with a hollow point which as you know means the bullet will explode on impact and you're like if she's in that job surely she would have heard that surely she'd know what a hollow point is you know exactly. what i mean surely we wouldn't have a detective telling her i, I hear you fair this, enough this is this is my my impression of van buren and 98 percent of her scenes go talk to the father <laughs> that's it see what he knows yeah I... <laughs> as if they that's hadn't a, already thought right. to do that you well know. somebody's been changing the oil in their car go find out who it is you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have you heard sling tv offers the news you love for less Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, the Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. 
Now let's look at the second half of this episode. A New Jersey judge first refuses to extradite Danny Rogas for the shooting in Raimondo's, but then grants the warrant on the charge that he didn't pay his bar bill. Because you can kill somebody in a five-star restaurant, but you had better not skip out on the bill. <laughs> Heck no. Rogus agrees to testify against Sonny. He says he got $10,000 from the author to kill the movie producer. You admit you murdered Thomas Mitchell? Sonny King paid me to. I didn't plan on doing it in Raimondo's, you understand. And if I dishonored Raimondo's in any way, I'm sorry and I apologize. I just had the perfect opportunity, I mean... How often does that happen? Rogus apologizes for dishonoring Raimundo's because they hadn't invented Yelp yet. <laughs> McCoy, <laughs> McCoy suspects there's more in the marinara than meets the eye. They see Artie called Raimundo's ahead of time. Sonny's plan was for the hitman just to scare Mitchell. When Paul Raimundo found out this shakedown was all planned to happen in his restaurant, he paid Rogus to really shoot Mitchell and set Sonny up for the crime. He had been disrespected by them three times, once for the book, once for the movie, and now for planning the shooting in the restaurant that bears his name. So. Yeah, so. So what the hell is in the pasta that the people keep kissing this restaurant's ass, <laughs> even when they're going to jail? It's really yeah, something. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. What is it, Chris? They got like the blood of Christ in the ragu or something? <laughs> Yeah, I do. I think they use some of the wine that Jesus turned from water, like the one of the original barrels from way back at that wedding. And I think they managed to get a, a barrel of it and they've just been using it. I think I think it's sugar. I think that's all they're putting in the sauce. And then I think people just think it's really exotic. I think it's as simple as that. But, you know, before before we go on, I, I know it was a very minor thing. It's not hugely uh, kind of uh, crucial to the episode. But I love when... McCoy, and I know this is a thing that is done in normal prosecutions as well all the time. I love when McCoy, the mischievous little imp he is, trumps up all these other nonsense charges to get someone that he's looking for. <laughs> and right. he gets such a glee out of it. You know what I mean? You can see he's really enjoying being an ass when he does this. Yes, yes. Let's hit Rogus with a charge we know we can make. Extradite him for that. Such as? I'm guessing he ran out of Raimondo's after the shootings. Along with everybody else. Which might mean he left without paying his tab. It's like, it's like, the, it's like having fun bending the rules. He's like, Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. can't yeah. wait for the other lawyer to read this. Now, I have to tell you, Kevin. <laughs> so we, we've been doing this show for a few months, right? Yeah. I cannot yes. believe you have not yet developed a sound effect for the unbelievable sense of dread we feel every time we realize it's an episode with Serena Sutherland in it and she enters the picture. (laughs) But I will say she did have an outstanding hair day in this episode. This may not be a detail that you guys recognize. No, we were just emailing about her hair, actually. (laughs) Yeah, that was what we were going to bring up for the last part of it. Yeah, But despite my overall reticence about Serena Sutherland as a character and as a partner to Jack McCoy, her hair was on fleek in this episode. It really was. So shout out to you, hairdressers of Law and Order. Hey, that's great. <laughs> so are we going to talk about the amazing Hey, It's That Guy in the second half of this episode? Yes. Who's the Hey, It's That Guy? Uh, Bill Camp playing Danny Rogus, the hitman. Uh, he is best known as the cop, uh, Detective Box, from The Night Of. So I figure this is perfect. I pull my piece, put one in Mitchell, drop it on the floor, and disappear out the door. 
that was one of those ones where I saw him and I was like, I know that guy. I know that guy. And I know that guy. And like the fifth time I saw him, I figured it out. You know, and, and an interesting fact is that he's married to Elizabeth, Elizabeth Marvel, Marvel yes. who has a recurring role in the SVU universe as defense attorney Calhoun. And right now she's on Homeland and she was also on House of House Cards. Cards. Yes. She's been in she's a lot Henry of stuff. So there's a, there's a power couple right there. An upcom- up and coming power couple. Yes. But he was so good as the hitman. Is it Danny or Denny Rogas Denny. in this episode? I thought he was just so creepy and good. So super psychopath. Didn't seem to mind detailing all of the other horrible crimes he'd committed without remorse. You know, I, I just thought he was great. A great criminal. He'd made a really homely shipping container as well. Like that place was a home. You know what I mean? That wasn't just a temporary residence. He had really turned that into somewhere to live. You know what I mean? He loved it. Um, there is that this really great scene where they're explaining the case to Branch and he's talking. They're all sort of bemoaning the way that we glamorize and romanticize American gangsters. So you believe there's a possibility of an acquittal? You all seen The Godfather recently? Public romanticizes the mafia. We do too. We even use their colorful nicknames when we indict them. So maybe the jury's fascinated. Aren't they also afraid? Get close to the flame, but not too close. That's the big attraction at Ramondo's. This whole case is polluted with this American mobster mythology. We just have to convince the jury that they're not watching a movie. Rebecca, why do you think we do that? Why, why, why do we romanticize these guys? I do blame Martin Scorsese. I do for a lot of it because he brought what I think of as the vernacular of the mobster into pop culture. And there is a... You know, it's a real society. You know, they have their own code. You know, they have, you know, you're made. You know, you have the whole, like, coming up the ladder. It's very ordered in some ways. And there's a lot of wild but actual sort of rules and a, a code around it. And they have their own language, their own manner of speech. They have their own way of interacting with the world and with each other. And they are brazen. The Italian mob, anyway, I think is unique in this way because, you know, you don't hear you don't hear about the Russian mob being out at a restaurant hobnobbing with judges and cops. But the Italian mob in particular really made the lifestyle so open and brazen that you kind of felt as a citizen, I mean, growing up in New York, you felt like you could have access to it if you wanted to. So it, it just, it felt like how bad can it be if they're being so open about it? If you could just go to this restaurant and dine across from Exactly. Them. I mean, you. I remember going to uh, like Sardi's and there's like a picture, one of the celebrity photos there is John Gotti, you know? Like, <laughs> that was sort of like the whole culture, uh, you know, especially, and then so much media is made in New York, obviously, that I, I think that's how the, you know, the culture sort of ended up being spread everywhere. Rebecca, you make a good point. You see, I think with how Italian mobsters are represented there's something very romantic about them it's almost a Robin Hood kind of thing you know they wear nice suits oh you know they're committing crimes but hey they've lovely restaurants and you know they donate to the local school but Russian mobsters you know will eat a man's face and it's not really as glamorous you know what I mean it's not really as glamorous when they're decapitating people and hanging them off a bridge it doesn't have the same mass market appeal to it you know what I mean like the way Italians do there's no Russian mobsters named Bumpy no, no, but they have much scarier names that mean like famine in Russian and stuff right. like that. They're, they're much scarier tunes. <laughs> Razor fist. And whenever, yeah, exactly. And in all the Russian mob episodes of Law and Order and SVU, they're always like the scariest, most suspenseful. Like think about like prosecutors getting their throat slit as you yes. by the Russian mob. I think that happened twice in this franchise. You know, a Russian mobster slit the throat of a prosecutor. Like, it's definitely portrayed differently, seen differently. I think it has a lot to do with just how the real life guys 
behave and act. Yeah. yeah, they're scary dudes. They're very scary dudes. The Italians aren't as scary. Don't get me wrong, they're all terrifying. Uh, but there's something... Re- I even think that when they're casting Russian mobsters, like, they use uglier actors. They use actors <laughs> whose teeth are all wonky. You know what I mean? They yeah. use guys who really don't... They don't look like what we're used to looking at on television. Like, they look almost unsettling. And, like, I don't think... When they're doing Italians, it's always suave, handsome men. They got nice suits on. You're not as as, as intimidated by it. You're like, hey, he's probably all right. He's probably fine. Sure, he's killed a few people, but he's cool. They had it coming. Yes. Yeah, they had it coming, Rebecca. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then Why they apologize that? afterwards for dishonoring yeah. the restaurant. <laughs> exactly. Not, Very, not the guy's family. Sorry for the widow and the orphans, but God, you know, that was a really great pasta primavera yeah, I was eating. The chicken and then all focaccia. Of a sudden, yeah. Yes. It was now amazing. I'm sorry. You have to reupholster your banquette. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, it comes down to the twist. Final twist is that Paul Raimondo ends up orchestrating all of this because he was disrespected. Sonny and Tommy disrespected me three times. The book, the movie. And ordering a hit and planning it in my place. That was the third straw broke the camel's back. Guys like Mitchell and King. They think it's chic. They think we're amusing. Screw them. Now, if you're upset, Chris, and someone's going to do something, would you show them up by actually doing the thing that you were mad that they wanted you to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. Talk about playing into the whole thing he's mad about being represented by. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. absolutely. I'm sick of being portrayed as a murderer. Fucking kill that guy. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's probably... You're dead right. He's really letting himself down when he, when he acts like this, isn't he? Yeah. It's like yeah. somebody saying, hey, oh, Fuck my mother? All right, well, I just did. How do you like that apples? <laughs> so, like, yeah, so you were saying, talking about how he was, like, upset that the hit was planned at his restaurant. Yeah. So he plans a hit at his restaurant. His restaurant, yeah. Now, here's my question. And this is, like, first of all, I loved the twist at the end of the episode. I love that it happened all the way at the end. I mm-hmm. mean, you it was one of those rare ones where, like, you really couldn't have guessed it because, you know, his appearance at the beginning was so short. But then they go through this elaborate thing where they find the gun in his car by, like, hitting all the buttons. Uh-huh. Um, if he, like, has a whole process for that where he can hide a gun in the dashboard of a secret compartment in his car, why does he still have the gun? Like, he's smart enough to, like, hide it. He's had a couple That's... of months. He's had some time, yeah. right? <laughs> no, that's so true. When I saw that, it was the one thing where I was like, motherfucker, what are you still doing with this gun? <laughs> like, for God's sake, they've been investigating this for months. Did you not have a chance to melt it or get rid of it? Or, mother of God. They could have put it in the sauce. It might have made yeah, it taste they, better. Yeah. Well, what a goddamn restaurant where the trash is pro- professionally hauled away by wise guys. Yeah. <laughs> and you know a lot of mobsters. I'm guessing one of them knows how to get rid of a fucking gun. You just melt the chamber of the gun down. You make a beautiful sauce with it. Yeah, it could have been like a special one of the nights. It would have been perfect. Oh, yeah. Chris, I was supposed to remind you that you're Irish. And that was a problem. Oh, yes. God, thank you. I nearly slipped my mind. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you why uh, I, I brought this up. And it's something that... It's something that I particularly noticed at the start of the episode when we were chatting about the, you know, the the woman singing and, you know, oh, play that song I love and all this kind of shit. However, what I do, right, and, you know, it's so funny because when it's not happening to me, I'm totally oblivious to it. But when I'm watching this episode, I think to myself, God, isn't this so glamorous? Isn't this so exciting? I'm getting to see a real authentic slice of what it's like to be a part of a different culture, live in a different country, be a part of this community. But then when I watch an episode of, you know, Law and Order or any kind of one of the the many offshoots of it, and I see 
the Irish representation is the Catholic priest going, this wouldn't have happened in County Dublin. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? And I get really annoyed by it. And I'm like, this isn't us at all. And then I wonder, is every other representation as one dimensional and as irritating to the party that it's representing as, for example, the Irish people going, well, do you know, I'm a ninth generation Irishman. My mother was Mary O'Guinness from, you know, County Limerick. And then I wonder, is it as bad with other cultures or do they have it more accurate because there is such a constant of, we'll say, Italian-Americans in, in the U.S., and they have much more exposure to it. I don't know. I, I've got a, uh, a Chinese friend. I'll go ask him how he feels about it. <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah, usually I mean, drag racers. They, they run casinos. You know, they, uh, they, they're very good with money. There's the usual representation. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of Irish characters on Law & Order that aren't, they're Americans of Irish descent, right? Like cops, firefighters. Sure, Irish-American is also portrayed sure. in a very Ben but Affleck kind of Boston Certainly on Law way, & Order, yeah. I have to say. Law & Order is one of the biggest perpetrators of this, like, diversity problem. There's never anybody with an accent on the show unless their ethnicity and or place of origin is part of the reason why they either committed a crime or were a victim. <laughs> Nobody can just have an accent because they have an accent and they're just no. like, you know, a doorman <laughs> from Ireland. Never, 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 never. If that doorman accent. is from Ireland, he's definitely like the brother of the priest who molested those kids. Or he's something. untrustworthy. Accent means untrustworthy <laughs> on this show. Basically, exactly. if they have an accent, you know they're up to some kind of shenanigans. I'll tell you that. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the shooting at New York's famous Rouse restaurant. The exclusive East Harlem eatery turned away celebrities like Madonna, but welcomed mobsters and made men. Regular diners also included a police commissioner and detective Sonny Grosso, who inspired the movie The French Connection. Before Christmas 2003, owner Frank Pellegrino asked Grosso's guest, Broadway actress Renee Stober, to sing Don't Rain On My Parade for the diners. When she finished, gunshots rang out and customers hid under the tables. At the bar had been 67-year-old racketeer Louis Barone, who went by the nickname Louis Lump Lump. While Stober sang, wise guy Albert Cicelli began to heckle her. Lump Lump told him to shut up, and then the two quarrelled. As the 37-year-old walked out of the restaurant, Lump Lump shot him in the back of the head. A second shot missed, but went into the foot of a judge eating at a nearby table. Patrolman grabbed Lump Lump as he left the restaurant. He was sentenced to 15 years and died in prison. The papers ate up the tale of the mob shooting at the famous restaurant. As for Stober... She wrote a one-woman play about her experience called Spaghetti and Matzo Balls. Oh my God. <laughs> First of all, I actually... Gangsters on the roof. Gangsters on the roof, it should have been. First of all, I actually love that this really happened in real life. It's probably my favorite rip from the headline story. It's also the f my favorite name of an episode. Everybody loves Raymondo's because the Everybody Loves Raymond's show. On a different network, by the way, which is, makes it extra fun. Yeah, I mean, I just I just love believing that there's a place where cops and judges and mobsters all break bread together. Well, here's what I want to know, though, because one of the things that stuck out from the episode was that Raymondo makes it clear that cops and judges eat for free, right? Right. That's illegal. 
right? No, he means he doesn't charge them for the tables. Everybody else, oh, they you pay have like a to club buy it. Yes, exactly. Yes, right. Okay. Which I thought is why he meant that he, I thought he meant that they he you know he let them eat for free, and I'm like, I don't think that's cool. But I wonder, like, yeah, you wouldn't want a mobster like bending the rules for a cop or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Whatever happened to that judge? Is he like? Is he still a judge? Does he walk around on crutches? He's and got he... a limp, but <laughs> <laughs> he's got a good. He story. has a cool game. <laughs> he gets a, he gets a parking space closer to the door now because he's got. <laughs> right. he's, Got that on his foot. Chris, is, do you think it's the fact that you can't get into a restaurant like that that makes it more desirable? No. When I go, like, because as you, as you guys were mentioning regarding paying for the tables, I think I could be wrong. There's a reference to something like 50 grand a year for a table or some outrageous number like that. I could be wrong. I'm nearly positive, though, that they, they mention a high, yeah. like, you know, ten, yeah, tens of thousands. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, sorry. And... Here's the thing, right? If I go out, if especially in Dublin, if there's one of these restaurants and there's a queue, I'm like, oh, well, then I'm going to another restaurant. Like, <laughs> it's not, it's not that big a deal. It's fine. I'm sure there's another place that puts pasta in tomato sauce that I can eat at that's going to taste just as good. I think there's a certain prestige, and obviously, I think what it is with a lot of these places, it's not, it doesn't work exactly the same in Irish society. But I feel that in a lot of these cases, especially in the U.S., when you go to an exclusive restaurant or an exclusive club, I think you're more paying for access to the clientele, would I be right, as opposed to the food. You're, you're more paying for the, the people you get to say, hey, you know, I got this application in with the city council, it'll really help if you, you know, I think you're more paying for that. But listen, I'm never going to queue for food fucking anywhere. No way. <laughs> Wait, how old are you, Chris? I'm curious. Because I feel like I would have done it like 15 years ago. But now I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm 29. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you. You've learned early. You've learned yeah, early. I, I, exactly. I definitely feel like it used to feel, it's like, it's like the cronut effect, right? Remember mm-hmm. when that place came out with those cronuts and we saw those ridiculous New York Times stories about people like lining up around the block to get a stupid like pastry? Croissant donut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had that bullshit here as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awful. There's a whole thing about you hear it's good and you got to try it. You got to have it. You got to do it. But it really is. I mean, in six months, it'll be widely available at a uh, Dunkin' Donuts near you. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have some damn patience, people. Yeah, and you can get Rao's spaghetti sauce uh, at the supermarket. (laughs) Oh, you can? Yeah, they they bottle it and uh, they sell it. Is it full of the blood of Christ? I think so. That's why it's so good. (laughs) I think that's why it's so delicious. Are we really like having blood of Christ jokes with our Irish, probably Catholic uh, guest and you, Irish, probably Catholic uh, host here? Rebecca, I'm going to have to go to confession after this with all of this bullshit you guys are doing. For God's sake. (laughs) Hey, Chris, if I told you that uh, Spaghetti and Matzo Balls was playing at the Abbey, would you? Uh, would you go see it? Yes, absolutely. No, and listen, actually, honestly, there's a you line know what? apparently, I, though. <laughs> I probably not if, the, if there's any queuing whatsoever, I'm out of this, all right? If you can somehow implant me in there. No, I'll tell you what it is. And guys, I know this is somewhat of an option, but it, it's something that you mentioned R- regarding the whole if spaghetti and matzo balls was playing. What do you guys feel of when these people who might have notoriety for uh, the, the example I'll use is Jordan Belfort is the dude that Wolf of Wall Street is based on and he did a tour recently where he went all across the world he, he had a few dates in Ireland and everybody of course because he'd been in or it was the, the man that Wolf of Wall Street is based on everybody's like oh my god I mean we gotta go see that the asshole ruined our economy what are you going to see him for like I don't get when people romanticize especially some like the, the dudes that were in Narcos the two detectives they're doing a tour at the moment and that's interesting because they were the detectives they were trying to do the right thing they were down there fighting against him but when like Jordan Belfort 
Belfort does it, or a guy who's like literally a convicted criminal who did something really damaging to millions of people. I don't understand the attraction of paying 80 euro to see him talk on a stage for an hour. Because he's already good at stealing your money. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's I done it once. Give Figure out a new exactly. way to do it. <laughs> you know, you actually, it reminds me of, you know, famous uh, mobster turncoat Henry Hill. From Goodfellas? On who, yeah, Goodfellas yeah. is based on Henry Hill, who then, you know, he's dead now, so we can say anything we want about him. Um, he definitely, you know, even after going into uh, witness protection program, continued to use his story as a way to generate interest and have an income. And he killed, like, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, exactly. Yeah, there, there is a, a real rub there. And that, to me, I think the Jordan Belfort example is a good example of someone, you know, who doesn't even have the charm of, you know, a lot <laughs> no, of these fuck monsters. Him. He's right? got nothing going for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our guest, Chris Green. Chris, how can our listeners follow you online? Oh, um, at Hate Chris Green is the Twitter at Hate Chris Green. Green has an E at the end of it. I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's Chris Green. It's the verified one. I got a wanky press shot of me in black and white. I mean, you'll, you'll find it. I mean, if you want to go online, that would be the places to get me. At Hate Chris Green. I wish there was an at Love Chris Green because... I kind of love Chris Green. Yeah, I know. Rebecca, how can our listeners follow you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. No fancy headshots. Sorry. But uh, I am very accessible at those places. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These RTR Stories. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Thanks again to Third Love for sponsoring today's episode. Third Love bras were developed using thousands of real women's measurements and range from sizes AA to G, including signature half cup sizes. Third Love stands behind their products so much that they're willing to let our listeners try a bra from their 24-7 collection free. Just pay $2.99 for shipping. Go to thirdlove.com slash law and order to get started today. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.